Hello, cinephiles, and welcome to Silver Screen Sips, a podcast where three idiots talk about movies, and today we will be diving into The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, with our special guest from the Steel City, Joe Hilliard. The Steel City. And how are you doing, Joe? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me tonight. Yeah, thanks for being here. We've been a little MIA for a bit, so we appreciate you kind of joining in the uh, return, I guess. <laughs> oh, no worries. I mean, everybody's entitled to a break here and there, right? Oh, yeah. I think we all needed one. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I'm sick of these guys, that's for sure. But <laughs> before we begin, uh, Lewis, do you want to give our uh, little warning to our viewers? Uh, no. Oh, all right. They'll find out live. <laughs> We're going to spoil everything. Yeah, just a reminder that there are spoilers ahead for movies and TV shows that you may not have seen yet, even though this one's also been out for about 11 years. Yeah. So just know you've been warned. Well, we'll start off with First Week in Hollywood segment. So first week. Um, first Week in Hollywood? Did say, no, I thought I said our first segment. You said no, you said our... our you'll Listen, start it's been a long week. day at work for me too, all right? <laughs> Welcome back to the 1910s. We're going to go to a history lesson now. Listen, I was I was on a shoot for like 10 hours. OK, my brain's fried. Understandable. Anyways, so I always try to do this, the little segment intro, and it always sounds terrible. You're taking it over from the intro guy. He is our intro guy. Yeah. OK, go ahead, Liz. It's because I'm an attention whore, honestly. So um... <laughs> oh, give me a warning right? next time. It almost made me spit my drink. Now to start off everyone's favorite segment of this week in Hollywood, here's Isaiah with the weather. Hello. With the weather. With the weather in Hollywood in the hills. Oh, I gave you this headline just because uh, I Reasons. think you'll enjoy it. I've heard many things about uh, what's going on here. So AMC Theaters has changed their movie ticket prices based on seat location. Now there will be three different uh, seat pricing options. The first is standard sight line. This Described as seats that are the most common auditoriums and are available for the traditional cost of a ticket. Then there's value sightline, which is which will be the seats in front in the front row of the auditorium. <laughs> the discounted price will only be available to AMC Stubbs member, however. Uh, the third option is preferred sightline, which is the seats in the middle of the auditorium and are priced at a premium to standard sightline seats. AMC A-list reserve seats in the preferred sightline section at no additional cost. It's like a it's like a concert basically like yes. if you want to get a better seat you have to pay more i understand why they're doing it but it's not a good idea it's probably not gonna go as i want to know <laughs> do i have to pay extra to sit in the back row because that's where i sit i think the because it was supposed it was supposed to roll out a few weeks ago but then they didn't do it so i'm not sure what's going on oh they said it was a bad idea like netflix did <laughs> So it's not happening is what we're hearing or it's to be as of right now. It's to continued. be determined. It will be it will okay. be coming out. At some point. I don't, we don't know when, but it depends on the theater, too, because like if you've ever been to an AMC, say like the Disney Springs AMC, if you go to the Dolby Theater, that would make sense for this because there is balcony seating in there. It looks like an opera house sometimes. Like, oh, a, like That's pretty cool. You walk in, there's this giant LCD screen poster of when you walk into the door and it's got like the movie that you're about to go watch and stuff like that. And it moves and it's nice and stuff like that. But you can also go into the second floor, which has a balcony and you can sit on that. Yeah. That I can get paying extra for. Cause it's like all fancy and shit, but like going to like my local 
theater, which is, I'm not going to name which one, but it's trashy. Uh, I can't justify paying extra for that at all. Um, okay, Lewis, go ahead with the uh, next headline before we get too off topic. <laughs> As always. Yep. Actress, definitely a candidate for GOAT status. Uh, Viola Davis has achieved <laughs> EGOT status. I actually don't. I mean, it's at the 2023 Grammy. To achieve the EGOT, stars must win at least one Emmy, one Grammy, one Oscar, and one Tony Award. Now you know. Now I know. G.I. Joe. Thank you. Davis won the Grammy for Best Audiobook, Narration, and Storytelling Recording for her autobiography. She received her Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in the Dramatic Series for How to Get with Murder. Excellent show. Her Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for Fences and her two Tonys for Featured Actress in a Play for King Hedley II and Lead Actress in a Play for Fences. Congrats, Viola Davis. This is an achievement that is very well done. Oh, yeah. I always was a fan of her. I honestly also had not heard of EGOT status before today. I don't know about Isaiah or Joe, but I'm on, I was on the same board as Lewis. In baseball, they call that hitting the cycle when you hit a single, double, triple, <laughs> home run. And here, here, she's not only hit for the cycle, but she's already plugged in a second Tony. You know, so yeah. she's on her way to a second cycle, which is ridiculous. And I will say this: I am a my I am I've been a Stubbs member for so long. I still have the yeah. shitty old card. They gave me a sticker. I keep this in my wallet like it's my lunch pass or something like that. So That's for me, so hey, if they're going to give me free, like, better seating because I've been a Stubbs member for like 15 years, I'm I'm down. I'll, I'll take whatever AMC wants to do for me on that. <laughs> one. I deserve it. I, I, I didn't even ask them for yeah. a real card. It's still like it's dog eared and it's ugly as and, you know, it's just horrible. I mean, look at the back. Hey, whatever. <laughs> you guys get the picture. That is that is also goat status or EGOT <laughs> status. Yeah, that's right. I've been around for a long time. Oh, yeah. Sponsor us. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, congrats, Viola Davis. Sorry, AMC just stole your thunder. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Viola Davis, on... please sponsor us. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would be nice. Anyways, so our next headline Ant Man and the Wasp. All right, it's been kind of the talk of the town lately. Um, however, you'll be surprised to know that it has only earned $225 million in its opening weekend. Um, at the global box office. So that's internationally speaking. So Ant-Man is, or Ant-Man 3 is the first film in phase five of the MCU, for those who didn't know, uh, which will build towards Avengers, the King Dynasty, which I believe is the like end of phase five. If I'm, I could be incorrect on that, but. Who the hell knows what Marvel's doing anymore? Cause all <laughs> yeah. Uh, all three Ant-Man films have been directed by Peyton Reed, um, and usually these movies have like in the past have typically performed lower than the more like prominent MCU films with uh, the first Ant-Man film ended its global run with 519 million and Ant-Man 3 or sorry Ant-Man 2 finished with uh, 622 million so it's not doing so great right now yeah, um, the, the reviews have been kind of uh, I've heard yeah, I've heard mixed reviews. I still have yet to see it myself, but um, it is in theaters now. So I guess I have no choice but to go see it and I guess rate it myself. Since the beginning of phase four with whatever movie that started with, I just haven't watched a single Marvel movie other than like Doctor Strange and No Way Home. I'm tired. 
it's too many you're too far back where it's such a commitment you have to watch it's like the 31st mcu film so you have to watch if you've watched two you have to watch like 29 other films yeah i'm good because like even yeah. remember, like oh, I'm gonna go watch Ant Man. There's gonna and be like, the shows. Of- Don't forget the shows. I'm not watching the shows. <laughs> I'm I refuse the to. WandaVision was so good. Loki was great, and that was the only Marvel Loki show I goat. watched. WandaVision, man. <laughs> Season two. Was good. I, if I'm allowed to comment here, and I won't, I'll oh, shut yeah. up. Uh, you know, I I agree with you. Um, I'm bored with it. You know, you can't have. I mean, MCU. It's like every quarter, it's a movie. And Mm -hmm. it's just hard. It's not just hard to keep up with, but it's also it's almost like overkill. No, it was it was it was an event. It was the summer movie and the Christmas movie. And then they're just turning out stuff that's just been subpar. I mean, the last one I I liked Doctor Strange in the multiverse. It was it was it was okay. But, you know, as much as I like Paul Rudd, I mean, I'm not excited to go see the Ant-Man part three. I I know I'm, I'm a sucker, so I'll watch it. But I'll likely wait for it to come on HBO or there's some Netflixy kind of thing or wherever it goes, uh, you know, these days on on streaming. Even though I should go see it in a movie theater, it's just like, oh, you know, and then they'll have another and then another. And they just had a Wakanda movie. And then I mean, it's like I, I can't I can't keep up with them. And the WandaVision stuff, I agree with you. It was very unique, really good. Loki was really good. But mm-hmm. it's just almost like it's just, just it's overloaded. No, oh, I just yeah. give me a break between them. Maybe knock off instead of having four movies released a year, make it three or go back to two you know, and pace yeah. it a little better. And that way I won't get tired of it. No, yeah. I, I 100% agree. They started to, they realized we, they, how much money they were making off of it. And they're like, well, let's just milk it till it's dead kind of thing. And the thing that's unfortunate too is that there's people like us that are like, it's not good anymore, but I'm going to go see it anyways. Because the prosumer, yeah, you can hear that bell ringing from the guy from Monty Python yelling to bring out your dead. (laughs) 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 Your dead, you know, it's coming, yeah. So, I just it's like I I think I'm there, you know. I think WandaVision for me is when it sort of jumped the shark, and then everything after that's up par, yeah. I think I think WandaVision was definitely like the last good that MCU came out with, and I mean. A lot of people are like, well, what about, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home? I'm like, when I was there in theaters and I was watching it, it was amazing. But afterwards, in hindsight, you look back. I see back, what you did there. Amazing Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Ah, I got you. I got you. Thank you. you. Another pun. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, in hindsight, I was like, it's only was good because of all of these nostalgic like bringing back the original spider-man and and the amazing spider-man it's like okay if we didn't have that aspect it's another sub part yeah no one would have cared i also (laughs) just am not excited to see like i probably won't go to the theater to see ant-man i'll probably wait for it to come on disney plus i didn't see thor love and thunder and i think it's on disney plus now and i still haven't seen it just because i don't care i wouldn't watch it i saw it Oh yeah, I heard it was oh bad. That's <laughs> mainly why I haven't watched it. But <laughs> I can just, see that one coming a mile away. Like, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. What a waste of Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what makes me sad. That's what makes me sad. It's because like Chris, don't do it. That's what Christian Bale's agent said. Don't yeah, <laughs> don't, don't do it. it. Don't do it. If you can see my cat, she just peed on my pillow. 
Oh. Uh, I'll deal with that later. It's probably because I haven't uh, cleaned her litter yet. Isaiah, I believe it's your turn. Yes. The BAFTAs are, are now over, and the two films that seem to dominate the event were uh, All Quiet on the Western Front and the Banshees of Inishirin. All Quiet on the West Front won a total of seven awards, including Best Picture, Best Director. Banshees ended up winning two out of the four act- acting awards of Original Screenplay and Best British Film. Um, you can find the full list of winners online searching uh, 2023 BAFTA Award winners. And um, if you don't know what the BAFTAs are, uh, it is the British Academy Film Awards. So it's the British version of the Oscars. Basically. Still very high status. And I'm honestly, kudos to all quiet on the western front i saw that movie it was it was really good for especially and i'm not a huge um foreign film person because i have trouble keeping up with what's happening because i cannot read subtitles for the life of me so to watch it in another language but still like enjoy it as much as i would have if it were in english like they did they did a great job i just want to point out that she also watches english movies with the subtitles on (laughs) I do, in case I miss something. (laughs) And she still has trouble. And I still have trouble. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't see Banshees, but I did see All Quiet. And and I thought that, I agree with you, it was was an entertaining movie. It was a violent movie at times. Well, obviously, it was going to be a violent movie at times. The ending was a little different, obviously, than the book, but it was... um, it, it, It offered something that the book didn't. The book sort of ends with this like scene where Paul's dead but you don't know he's dead you're looking through someone else's eyes and the entire time or through this single point of view uh, and the book ends without you knowing how he died he just died this mm-hmm. kind of pushed it up against the the and it was a little I I, I enjoyed the ending that and, and I think part of it was because I didn't expect it I just expected something else to happen and didn't and I was like oh this is and you know same thing basically happens but it was I I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, it was really good, especially for a Netflix film, just because lately Netflix has kind of been on the same. I don't know. I've got a love hate relationship with Netflix, but they did good on this one. Yeah, we'll we'll see in a month if they're, you know, still. Yeah. (laughs) Lewis, what do you got? James Cameron is now in a league of his own director's latest film. Avatar The Way of Water has officially overtaken his iconic 1997 hit Titanic to claim the third spot on the list of highest grossing movies of all time at the worldwide box office. Now the official list contains three of Mr. Cameron's film in the top five highest of all time. The other two being Avengers Endgame and Star Wars The Force Awakens. I don't understand why that last one's there, but... James Cameron is one guy. And he's made billions of dollars off three movies. <laughs> billions. I think yeah, his plan is just to make like Avatar take the top five spots, so that way he can be like, "Yeah, I am <laughs> so the top, he has five. top five. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised." Honestly, <laughs> he's like, "You call yourself a director?" Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It was. A, I mean, it was. A, it was an entertaining movie, but it, he basically took the last hour and just reintroduced us to Titanic. <laughs> That, you know, is it, it, that is true. That is true. It is literally uh, I, my own. My problems with it were, were several. Right, that was one. I saw Titanic, saw Avatar, and then I saw Avatar on the Titanic. And I don't know how it was. Maybe because it was supposed to be twenty years ago and introduced to that. And I, I, I thought he could have done better. Secondly, the the villain. It's the same villain. 
And thirdly, there weren't any avatars in Avatar. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, the, the, the one the avatar is like the medic guy shows up, like from yeah. the, the, he's like, "Hey, let me help," and that was it. And that you just you presume that everybody is there's no. I don't know. Like I, I really enjoyed it. the water scenes, the action scenes. They're yeah. ridiculously, incredibly good. Now, when with the amount of money they put into it, they better have been. But like. <laughs> You know, and I don't want to be hard on it because I really enjoyed the movie, but it's like I saw Titanic and you know, don't need to see Titanic again in Avatar form. And it, uh, that, that was a little disappointing to me. It's funny you say that, given that um, Titanic has its 25th anniversary during like the third week that Avatar was out. So we were so theaters were playing both of them at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, saw, I saw something about that. I think that, you know, it. I still have yet to see Way of Water. Oh no! And I just oh, really no. <laughs> no, it, I, 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 I already knew most of it, like okay. just from reading up on it and stuff. So I think James Cameron has got to think about water. Yeah, yeah. He made the Abyss. He made Titanic. He made the Way of Water. He's got to think about water. Yeah. If Quentin Tarantino's got to think about feet, James Cameron's got to think about water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So lastly, we're gonna talk about Disney. And their ongoing effort to adapt every fucking animated film they have into some sort of hybrid live action CG adaptation. You can tell how I feel about this. Grown. They've had one of their films uh, on their list for quite some time now, and it has officially been, I guess, confirmed that they're working on it. <clears throat> so they've had plans to give Lilo and Stitch the same treatment as they have with other films. They've wanted to do this since like 2018, but they're finally casting people. So they have casted Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> who knows who he's going to be? They haven't said. He's stitched, I can obviously. only imagine who. <laughs> the search to find actors for Lilo and her older sister Nani have also begun. And um, Disney has currently has it set to release in May of 2024, um, but we'll see if that actually ends up happening. So a, I don't know. That is a tight for time frames. <laughs> yeah, considering they're just casting. I feel like I got my blood pressure up from that last <laughs> 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 Anyways, uh, so now let's let's move on. Okay, enough of us talking. I want to hear a little bit from Joe. So uh, we've kind of come up with some questions that we wanted to ask you just kind of about what what you do, who you are, because people are probably like, who the fuck is this guy? Why is he here? So (laughs) (laughs) so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and then um, we'll ask you our questions. Yeah, sure. So in brief, uh, my name is JV Hilliard, but I am Joe. JV is just a little thing my publisher makes me do for the covers of the books um but i write uh fantasy adventures so if you like epic fantasy like tolkien or dark fantasy <laughs> like game of thrones uh and or some other things that involve gothic gothic and cryptids and you know, some pretty unique monsters i weave them into my stories and i'm right now in two two stories into the warminster saga of and it's a four book series um and the books are available Pretty much anywhere you look for books, audio, ebooks, or paperbacks, you can find them. Uh, and uh, the third one comes out here in April, and the, the last in the series will come out um, in the August or September timeframe here in 2023. So it's a oh, little boy. bit about who I am and what I do. The 
the concept sounds like something I know definitely Lewis and I would be into interested in the Lord of the Rings kind of like more fantasy subject. I'm a huge fantasy fan. As soon as you said cryptids, I looked at Isaiah because <laughs> that's more that I'm also interested in that, but it's definitely more of Isaiah's kind of Have area heard of the Mothman. <laughs> oh my God. Don't get me started on the Mothman. <laughs> so that's Joe for anyone who wanted to know. Uh, I guess I'll start with my question. How difficult was it for you to basically create like an entire world practically from scratch for your series? Well, first of all, I, it, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd, right? I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> for a long time. Most of that time I've been a dungeon master. So for me, I've created a number of campaigns. And what I did was just memorialize those campaigns and or some of the various areas that I've created, the, the geographies, and put them into what became the realm of Warminster. And so instead of Middle Earth or Westeros, you know, I've got Warminster. Uh, and to some degree, it was easy because that had already been done. Uh, but it was really 20 years of tabletop role-playing games and just my just generic geekdom that that brought it you know to the fore when it was time to, to write the book. So I don't want to call it easy. It was it was, you know, almost two decades of hard work, you know, to make it entertaining role-playing for all of my player characters and you know. I think that many of the stories that we created in our role playing turns, turned out to be one hell of a novel, or in this case, a series of novels. So, yes, it's it's hard. It takes time. I have a little bit of OCD, so for me, I'm a big planner, and, and it had to make sense you know, to to play out. And it has to be your own unique world. Like I can't write in someone else's world, so I made my own. And you know, thankfully, as strange as it was, I kind of did it over a period of years by accident. Then when it was time to go, I was like, shit, I'll just pull them all together and it'll work, work itself out. So I made a map and went rolling. That's pretty awesome. You mentioned the like Dungeon Master thing and that made me think of, it wasn't a real D&D game. It was super janky. It was, it was my version because I've never played, but I've always wanted to play. So I was like, this is a nice little like taste of it. And it's dumbed down basically like 20 degrees so that anyone could understand what the fuck we were doing um <laughs> but i always wondered like how dungeon masters is it basically like you create your an entire story or is it like you pick and choose from a source of some sort or is it like i'm gonna create your characters the monsters you're gonna fight your world you live in the people you meet like all of that is or is it like improv it's a bit of both right so okay. like as a dungeon master you're setting a campaign a scene around a basic plot that the players or PCs, player characters, are going to follow through. And in order to be a good dungeon master, you have to be a good storyteller. So mm. someone like me who, you know, is an author, it's almost a prerequisite to be a dungeon master. Yeah. And to your point, you have to, you know, players do crazy stuff. Uh, and so you can't force them into a singular plot line. Sometimes they do things that surprise you and it's better a better story than what you've created and you're like oh i gotta go with that and you have to run you know, at that moment to 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 you know move the campaign in a different direction in other cases they screw up and when they screw up something bad happens to them you know, sometimes their characters get killed and die or, and or the party loses and everybody dies like yeah. it's over 
you know, and you, you have to, to manage those expectations. You have to manage that gameplay. You get better at it as you go. And, you know, you have to have to be quick witted, I think, but also a good storyteller. And if someone comes up with a really good idea that you haven't thought about, you have to, you know, be able to hit the curve. Right. And make sure that right. even if you have to soldier on for a couple of hours to the end of the session, the next session, you have to come back and know how to wrap that event around the next piece and either guide it back in the general direction of the campaign or say, you know what, this is better. And I'm going to go down this rabbit hole and run with it. So it's, it's some of it's planning. Others of it is, you know, kind of lying by the seat of your pants and you got to kind of be good at both and you got to roll with the punches and, you know, and then there's dice rolls, Like you can have the best story ever. And if the player characters can't roll the dice the right way you can't they can't win right or vice versa yeah. as a dm sometimes you get on a little bit of a, a hot streak in a bad way and so you, you can you know as a dm you, you're the god basically you can tweak it and and maybe that 20 wasn't really a 20 maybe it was a five you know and that yeah. you know, big bad evil guy the, the big boss misses just in time you know and it makes for a better story mm, okay interesting I could, I probably would not be a very good dungeon master. I'm not, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think I'm that, that quick on my feet. I feel like I'd just be like, uh, give me five minutes, please, to think about this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think Lewis also had a question. I, I had a two part question, but you already answered the second part of it in the, I guess, in Beth's question, because oh. you explained about your background as a dungeon master. Because right. we were. <laughs> No, it's okay. We were, we were all looking at your website, you know, to get, get some ideas to ask you. In either case, uh, my actual question now is, as I was going through the realm and story behind uh, Warminster, I was just curious, was there like particular authors or events in real life that might have inspired you? Because I, I did see the references, not just to Tolkien, maybe even like real life history, if you could put it that way. Yeah, so you know, you're right. Uh, your first point about the characters. Many of the characters in the novel were characters I either played or uh, my players played. Their characters they were inspired by them. Not I have to break away. I can't use Dungeons and Dragons terms. They own those, right? So I had to create mm -hmm. my own realm as part of that. So the characters morphed a little bit, but you can follow along sort of those character arcs and character tropes and, and things that you find, whether it's in Tolkien or Dungeons and Dragons or wherever. Know, any of the, the the popular stuff like Shannara or Brandon Sanderson stuff, but yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten some of my inspiration from play uh, of the game, and I've also taken inspiration from a lot in particular from two places. One, you know, my my day job, uh, I'm a DC lobbyist. I do government affairs for defense and technology companies, and so I see a lot of crazy stuff at the Pentagon, right, and or uh, just being in sort of the, the political nature of the city, you see how different parties react and individuals react and then how international affairs is conducted. Uh, and a lot of that stuff is the, is the basis for what happens in my novels, right? I think that, you know, using a Darth Vader kind of a, an example, I mean, Darth was good, then he was bad, then he was good again. And But if you're looking through the eyes of Darth Vader, he was always doing the right thing. Uh, and sometimes mm. good people make bad decisions and and things like that. And so some of my characters, to ground it in realism, in a world that's created so fantastically, but you have to give some 
for someone to just suspend their disbelief, they've got to they've got to feel some connection to it. And so making the characters real uh, and really kind of juxtaposing them into real life scenarios that I've seen for countries and or individual political folks. I when I built the seven baronies of Warminster, I used some of my real life experiences to to interact with that. And then I'm also sort of like a amateur military historian. So a lot of the battle scenes have some kind of real life example to them. You know, for example, in book one, The Last Keeper, a battle at, at Hom Hill, which is called Blood Ridge. Uh, and that's sort of the Battle of Thermopylae, right? It's it's kind of like, you know, almost like a Alamo. It's like a last stand and, 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 and how they use their territory and their terrain and this castle you know, against an overwhelming force in the same way that it was used against the Persians by the Greeks or items that are developed just in the nick of time to win battles like Greek fire or quicklime or other kind mm-hmm. of weapons that give someone a competitive advantage in my novels. I try to take some of that. And I see that all the time at, at DOD, you know, the Pentagon's always developing the next weapon and we might not have as many forces in the field as some of our enemies, but because of our technological advantage, we have the superior army or Navy or air force. And that, I use those same principles in the novels because it makes sense. And when you see them play out, you're like, oh, how did they win? Now I know how they won. Uh, And it gives the good guys an advantage a little bit every now and then, like Q from James Bond. Hey, we got this great thing just in time to help the good guys beat the bad guys. Right. And (laughs) and stuff like that. So I have a little fun with it, but it's grounded in, in, in both sort of like fantasy play. And then also what I've seen in my real life experiences, um, you know, uh, in, in both DC and frankly, in the professional realm. Hmm. Very well put. <laughs> yeah. I saw, Isaiah, I saw Isaiah's ears perk up when you mentioned Pentagon and all that <laughs> government hullabaloo. Um, hullabaloo. I, I don't know, man. Uh, Isaiah, <laughs> do you have a question? Well, since you're an author and I assume you like books, and I like, books. <laughs> and like reading them, I would assume. Like, I actually hate <laughs> reading. <laughs> um, so what is your fa- I, a lot of books end up getting adapted into movies. So I was wondering, what is your favorite like film adaption of a book that you may have read or wanted to see adapted or anything like that? I think the, the one that was adapted that I liked the most was Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, mm. I think that the, the first of the three good choice, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings movies was really good. It was about the of the three, it was the closest to, to the book, I thought. I mean, even though there's, you know, you just couldn't fit, Peter Jackson couldn't fit into them. But, you know, it was, it was my Star Wars, right? It was episode four. Like, you know, for me, it was like, wow, this is really going to start an epic series. And it did. And it was, it was fantastic. And they, 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 and I think Jackson did a good job staying true to most of Tolkien's stuff. Uh, through that and so i would think that that's that's probably my favorite the one i'd love to see adapted though uh, that hasn't been to my knowledge is either the the dark elf trilogy by r.a salvatore which has a D basis to it and one of my f- favorite literary characters is drish duorden who's his his D character that he put into this now 40 book series and when i'm sitting here pissing around with four books and this guy's written 40 you're like oh. <laughs> Yeah, like that's you, that's something to aspire to, that's but I think it's so visually appeasing. Like, I would love to see that in theater, uh, and the way it would play out, it would be a completely different because it's it's all takes it takes place 
technically in a magical realm underneath a mountain. You know, mm. and like to have that kind of a scenario would be so cool and unique. Uh, and then, of course, I've been watching from afar Joe Manganiello, a fellow Pittsburgher, who's trying to show run for Margaret Weiss and her Dragonlance series. Which, of course, if you like fantasy adventure, you're gonna like dragons, right? So, you know, I would I would say that that's probably those are the two I'd like to see made. And Fellowship of the Ring is the one I think is my favorite. Oh yeah. I agree. I honestly was really hoping you'd just be like, actually, Hunger Games or something. <laughs> <laughs> Great segue. Segue. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. We'll just we'll take it up from the top. No, I'm just <laughs> I think that Lord of the Rings is a good good answer. And then Amazon went and ruined it. But that's yeah. another topic. Another show coming. Another yeah. Show. <laughs> they're they're gonna become the next Disney. Just watch. Oh God. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, thank you for that little brief little interview, Joe. Thank you. Now, Lewis, do you have a drink for us today for this great movie? Yeah. You do? Oh, great. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. <laughs> because you said hullabaloo earlier, now I, I uh, have the Courage the Cowardly Dog playing on my head. Reading. Oh, no. So we actually have two quick drinks. It is going to be, one is going to be Porter Quell. Okay. And the second will be known as the Tracker Jacker. Okay. We would like to give credit to our mixologist, Lawrence Long. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence. Lawrence. So sorry, Lawrence. <laughs> he runs the bar at the Whisper Restaurant and Lounge at the Grove in Los Angeles. Apparently, okay. Rihanna, Halle Berry, and J-Lo have been spotted recently. Ooh. Whoa. This was in 2020, so... Oh, going on. <laughs> so not yeah. recently. Uh, he apparently totally geeked out when developing the recipe. The quarter quell is more of a conceptual drink. The quarter quell was my take on the capital's societal effect. Chambord stands for the raspberries at the banquet. And because you build it in a glass and the drink gets titted pink, it symbolizes their constant need to add layers and beautify. Orange twist garnish represents a bittersweet finish. So our quarter quell is a Half ounce of raspberry liqueur, a hands, uh, half ounce of elderflower liqueur, prosecco to fill the glass, and an orange twist to top it off as a garnish. Uh, then our tracker jacker is going to be one and a half ounces of gin, a quarter ounce of absinthe. Oh my Ooh. god, that's definitely a tracker jacker. Yeah, it's, a, it's a reference to the hallucinogenic effect. Ah, lava. Clever girl. And you will have the juice of half a lemon, half an ounce of honey syrup, and a lemon twist as your garnish. Okay. Uh, I, I like I that one. Yeah. yeah. And I also photo. like the uh, Jurassic Park reference that you slipped in there. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. we've been saying it ever since we did a season on it. We <laughs> just keep throwing it in randomly. Clever girl. I'm down for Tracker Jacker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I think I'm leaning towards as well. I want to get lit. Let's go. <laughs> when people heard the absinthe, they were like, Ooh. oh, yeah, I'm down. It sounds because here's my here's here's my reasoning. I think the quarter quell, as much as it sounds good, it I don't understand the theme, like the, the connection between that and the film, whereas the tracker jacker, every ingredient makes sense. I mean, the gin is kind of like, well, gin just goes well with this, but. The absinthe makes sense. The honey makes sense. 
the lemon, of course, is just the garnish. But I just feel like it's a more well-rounded than the other ones. I mean, I, they'd probably both be the same rating, but I'm just going to I'm going to give the Tracker Jacker a four out of five and the Quarter Coil three and a half just because theme. <laughs> <laughs> Missing. The, the Tracker Jacker, it's the absinthe is hallucination. The lemon juice sting. Ah, but like there's like a there's like a reasoning behind each one. I think that's why it's yeah. Each ingredient is like layered into the drink in a specific reference versus like the quarter quell. He says in his quote, it's it's more of a conceptual. Mm -hmm. Like something they probably would drink. Right. And and not even just that, it's a reference to to like he was saying the raspberry and the raspberry liqueur is a reference to the poisonous berries they had at the banquet or something like that. Yeah. uh, but in either case, I, I also lean towards the tracker jacker. I give it four to five. Uh, Order quell honestly sound like putting strawberries in prosecco and calling it a day. To be quite <laughs> yeah. honest, nothing special. So I give it uh, a three. Sorry, Lawrence. What about you, uh, Joe? I will, just the, the concept of the tracker jackers. Uh, I'm all about that. I would give that a five out of five. I haven't tasted it yet. I love lemon. I love absinthe. I think this would be great, even though it's. No, I, I and I think that from a creative perspective, they really did a good job maxing, like sort of matching it up with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the quarter quell, c- cool name, super cool name. It reminds me of the concept in the books and in the movie where you know Snow had poisoned everybody, and he he drank the poison himself in the beginning, which is why he bleeds constantly from the ulcers in his mouth and his throat. And I can see him drinking champagne and then spitting the blood in, and it makes that color. So, yeah. uh, you know, and so I, I can see that stuff. It, it look looks tasty. <laughs> uh, it might not have been as well thought out as the Tracker Jacker, but, you know, I would probably have one of those, especially like in a morning in Vegas when you're trying to shake it off and like, back <laughs> yeah. in the game. I'll probably start with that. Like Tracker Jacker is an evening drink. The other one's a morning drink. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. So what would you rate the... Um... Give that a four. I'd give that a four, but just because I think it's going to taste good. Yeah, that's fair. Isaiah, what about you? I'd give them both fours. They'd be they they sound delicious for different reasons. All right, <laughs> they're a little more. Yeah, <laughs> it's got. I was going to say quarter quail is definitely more of your my up style. your alley because you like you prefer like the sweeter drinks. Yeah, and then the other one just sounds like a I mean, good time. <laughs> it's here to kick your ass and we're gonna have some fun with it <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah, both on fours because i feel like they would both be, have they both be good for different reasons <laughs> yeah i also want to add that i think the reasoning behind my rating is that the quarter quell is not a drink that already exists but like in the movie they probably saw the you know when he the blood comes out of his mouth and into the drink they're probably like oh that was like their inspiration. Whereas like the tracker jacker, they had to really start from scratch. Yeah. It's a far stretch for what I just said, but what's going to stand and cause hallucinations, all this stuff together. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Lewis. Those were good. Thanks. I liked, uh, I liked both. Just saying thanks. a lot. <laughs> We'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Shaker Spoon. It's a monthly subscription service. Bar quality recipes and ingredients designed by a watermelon of which I am not. If you'd like your very own <laughs> subscription, 
then head over to shakerandspoon.com and use our promo code SIPS10, that's S-I-P-S, number 10, to get $10 off your subscription. Again, that's promo code SIPS, S-I-P-S, number 10, get $10 off. Great job. Good job, Lewis. Amazing. Okay, now is time. It is time. That's proper English. It is time to play a little game that I have conjured up for you guys. You could call me a dungeon master or something. Ooh. I don't know. That's nothing. It's well nothing. Played. Well played. <laughs> Just trying to segue, connect things. So today we're going to be doing Hunger Games trivia. Yeah. Everyone's favorite. Yay. Uh, so for those who are new here, <clears throat> Joe. So <laughs> basically, uh, we each uh, have a buzzer, not me, you three. And uh, I'll ask a question. First person I hear buzz in gets to answer. If they guess it correctly, they get the point. First person, two, three, in this case, will win. Okay. Easy Did enough. You just buzz? Is that the way it works? Or is there an actual buzzer somewhere? We, um, so you have to just... You just have to make a noise with your mouth. Make a noise. <laughs> yeah. You gotta get her attention in the most dramatic way. You have way to, possible. yeah. Normally, they will, each episode, they've made up different noises, but I usually, when I edit the episodes, because Isaiah and I edit it, I usually throw in like a sound bite from the movie just to be funny. But they mm-hmm. like to change it up to make me laugh because it's fun. So, yeah. um, so I'm going to put. Uh, when I edit this episode, I'm going to put Katniss screaming from the tracker from the. Prim! Yeah, just Prim. Sir <laughs> Buzzer noise. <laughs> I don't understand why she screams like that. That was one of my cons I wrote for this. I was like, why does she yell Prim like that? It don't it just doesn't sound right. Anyways, yeah. okay. So we normally uh, do Bing and Bong. Yeah, Bing Bong. Um, whatever you guys want to do, you can surprise me. Welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, to Hunger Games Trivia. I have here with me, Lewis. Lewis, how are you doing? You cut out. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. I'm wonderful. Thank yeah. You. Isaiah. Isaiah, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I want Caesar Flickerman okay, here. Okay. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Joe, <laughs> our special guest. I'm here. I'm here. Great. So uh, everyone knows the rules. Buzz in. Get the right answer. Bam. First question is going to be uh, these are not going to be easy because I just want to give you guys that warning now because I went through and I tried to find trivia questions and they were all like dumb easy. So I really had to search Uh for like tricky ones. So they're harder. First question is how many tributes survived the first day of the Hunger Games, like the original film? First person to get the closest answer. A buzz in. Okay. Plus 10. 10. You were close. Got uh, Louis, Isaiah. Thank you. Louis? Eight. Okay. Isaiah? So how many people survived the first day? How many survived, correct? The first day. Oh, um, first day. I want to say seven. Okay. So the points will be going to Joe. There was 11 survivors was on close. the first night. So you were literally like one off. Damn. <laughs> yeah. That was a slaughterhouse, right? I mean, it's remember everybody getting oh, yeah. picked off. Oh, yeah. yeah, that left and right. I think I couldn't see because of how shaky the camera was. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, <laughs> don't even. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> so, 
Uh, second question. We have one point for Joe right now. Second question. Who is the first tribute to die? Now, before you answer, unless you know the answer off the top of your head. No, no takers. Okay. I'm going to provide four options. So once I finish saying the answers, then you may buzz in. So who was the first to die uh, tribute wise? Was it A, District 6 female, B, District 8 male, C, District 7 male, or D, District 3 male? Thank you. Ah, Lewis. C. District 7 male? Yes. Incorrect. Anyone else want to steal the point? <laughs> Isaiah? I say District 3. District 3 female? Yeah, whatever. I don't remember which one. Was Incorrect. Uh, Joe, you have two options. Uh, <laughs> it's 50-50 here. And may the odds be ever in my favor, right? Ah. <laughs> On my hands. I'm going to say uh, six. You said District the, 6 the, female? Male. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing. I, I have no idea. Okay, District 6 female is also incorrect. No points for anyone. It was yeah. District 8 male was the first to Damn. die. Um, if you guys don't remember, he uh, basically rushed to the cornucopia for supplies, and then that's when Marvel killed him. Now, one point for Joe, zero points for the other two. Okay, next question. Where does Katniss find PETA after he is injured? Ooh, Isaiah. In a, in a river, in a rock. <laughs> in a river, correct. <laughs> one point for Isaiah. That was a little bit easier for you guys. Lewis, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> He's cleaning up cat piss in the corner. Yeah. I believe it's pronounced catness. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, full circle. Yeah. Next question Which tribute eats the poisonous berries? If you can give me a description, I'll take it. Run! Joe. She's the buggy eyed, red haired woman. <laughs> buggy eyed? <laughs> Does anyone know her actual name? Because if you get the name. No, I don't know. She has no? a funky okay. name. She has a funky name. It's not a real name. It is. It's not a real name. So I'm, I'm going to have to give it to Joe. It's Foxface. 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 Yeah. Um, okay. So that is now two points for Joe. One point for Isaiah. Zero points for Louise. Next question. This might be the last one. Who saves Katniss? from clove clove is the one with the knife that like mounts her mounts her oh. yeah at the cornucopia Run! it's the big dude from district 12 i can't remember his name does anyone know his name Fiddick? wrong movie nope. wrong movie talking about the first one still rip isaiah do you have the name you, you're gonna say it then i'm gonna know it <laughs> Resh. it was his uh, name Resh. okay so Joe, you basically won. Our guests seem to always win here. Yeah, yeah. wipe the floor with us all the time. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do one more question. Um, this one will be for all the marbles, just because I feel like. What? <laughs> <laughs> just strip me of my title. Listen, I'm the dungeon master. I can make up the rules. <laughs> no, 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 no. You won. Well, we call it like to thank our sponsor today. If you enjoy listening to movie related podcasts like us, then you've got another great show for you to love. 
the Michael Blake Green approved podcast is a brand new show hosted by actor and radio personality Michael Blake Green. With a new episode every Tuesday, Michael talks about what it's like to be a working actor, shares hilarious stories, and promotes his upcoming comedy shows. Recently, he's released a sci-fi short film called Anti-Artificial, which is available for streaming on YouTube.com. You can also find the Michael Blake Green approved podcast on YouTube or on the TuneIn app. We'd like to thank him for being a sponsor today. Yes. Thank you, Michael Blake Green. Now, since you're already talking, Isaiah, why don't you tell us some fun facts about this movie? Because I feel like there might not be a lot. No. Yeah, a lot. I'm, I'm hoping to... you will surprise me. Yes, I managed to get a full page. <laughs> wow. Right. wow. Wow. I don't know what that is in relation to your other fun facts. Uh, What's the longest amount of facts that you have had? It was a, it was a solid like two and a half pages. I think it was um, it was probably like one of the Harry Potter movies. Like. Mm. Pies of the Caribbean had a lot too. Yes. Yes. Let's start with some filming stuff. Uh, Catching Fire was released in IMAX with uh, 48 minutes of the total screen time, mostly of the arena uh, inside of it uh, being shot with IMAX cameras. However, given that the time, IMAX cameras are like super, super loud. Like you can't st- you can't record dialogue next to them because they're just <laughs> they're also humongous. And so you can't put them like on steady cams or anything like that because moving them is such a pain and mm. it's they're just heavy. And for reference, you guys can check it out in the Discord. Oh, wow. Uh, that is a picture of one of those cameras. I don't know if I've ever seen one before, like a picture of one before. Those things are, that's a, that's a beast. That is, is huge. Yeah. So, I, yeah, so the IMAX camera is loud. So most of this, like most of the dialogue you hear while they're filming in the arena is ADR. They've had to go back and uh, redo the audio. That is hilarious because Jacob, who's my boyfriend, he was watching it kind of in the background and he was like, why does the audio sound like it was recorded afterwards? And I was like, look at you little film. <laughs> like I was like, I'm rubbing off on you because now you're noticing these things. And now it has been confirmed. Yes, it is ADR, which uh, give me a second. I have to Google the name of ADR. I forgot what it was. Uh, it is not alternative dispute resolution. That is a lawyer thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> type film afterwards (laughs) a a film version of what adr means is uh, automated dialogue replacement was which is Mm -hmm. where they play the scene for the actor in a studio and they then reenact their lines in the studio to then be able to dub it over later on uh to match it as perfectly as possible Mm -hmm. now actors who almost played finnick o'dare finnick love finnick who's the actual actor what's his name i want to say he's like australian or british or something sam claff Claff, Cla- oh my god! Try again, Sam Claflin. <laughs> Sam Claflin. Okay, he is British. Look at that! Um, I was right. Graduated from the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. They have the Baptists over there. Look at me tying in the original segment. <laughs> she, she's a pro. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Doesn't mean I do it well. I just do it. <laughs> it gets there sometimes, you know. Mm. So. Uh, people who almost played Finnick O'Dare include Grant Gustin. If you don't know who that is, that is the Flash, the CW Flash. Okay. That's <laughs> like, ah. uh, mm-hmm. Taylor Kitsch, who played John Carter in, the, in Disney's John Carter, which okay. he's like 43 years old, by the way. Yeah. So, I don't know how that would have been. And then Army Hammer is the last person, which I think would have been a very odd choice. So there's a shot of PETA proposing to Katniss in one of a 
Peter Flickerman's like show reels. Mm. He gets down on one knee. The take for that, Josh Josh doesn't actually ripped his pants when he went down to one knee. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> God bless. That's pretty good. I'm surprised Jennifer Lawrence didn't lose her shit from that. So for Finnick's introduction scene, Sam Claflin ate two to three sugar cubes a take. So the scene where he goes up yeah, and he eats the sugar cube, he did that two to three times and he ate full sugar cubes each time. He ended up eating an entire box. In one day? In, in one day when the shooting that scene. Oh, jeez. That's rough. That scene always was cringy to me too, where he like eats it and he like holds it there for a second. He's just trying to look like attractive, <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't like it. He's funny. I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Kristen Bell is a huge fan of the Hunger Games, and she actively sought the role of Joanna Mason. Oh, oh I'm so glad. <laughs> that would have been Kristen Bell's too like. What's the word? Cute. Yeah, like innocent looking for uh, the role right, of Joanna. For like swinging an axe. I don't know. Yeah, Can you imagine no. Veronica Mars doing the stripping scene in the elevator? <laughs> See, I'm thinking like Anna from Frozen, <laughs> like super innocent. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, the, of that scene, the scene where Joanna Mason strips in the elevator was filmed in a real life hotel, I believe in Atlanta. Uh, during the filming, the elevator unexpectedly opened with an employee on the other side carrying coffee. They kind of just kind of stared at each other, realizing, oh, this is happening. And then... Someone apologized, the doors closed, and then everybody laughed really hard because, you know, she's sitting, so sitting there stark naked in front of these three people. I honestly thought that you were going to say he, like, dropped his coffee. I was just like, <laughs> like, whoa. That would be so funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> that guy's got a story to tell. Yes, he does. I bet no one believes him, too. He's like, so I'm getting coffee, right? And <laughs> Like, I can't imagine anyone bu- like buys his story. The Hunger Games is filled with a lot of injuries. This These sets are cursed. And also because Jennifer Lawrence is very clumsy. Everybody gets clumsy when they're around her. So continuing in, the, in lieu of all of the onset injuries, we have a few more to add. Jennifer Lawrence burst her eardrum when swimming past one of the jets underwater during the spinning scene of the cornucopia. Ouch. That fucking hurt. She was deaf for about a week in her, in her ear. She also managed to hit herself with a bow mid-sprint. <laughs> that sounds, I don't that know. sounds like her yeah that sounds more accurate now uh sam claflin he broke his hand while performing a stunt i uh, could not find out which stunt it was but he broke his hand during one of them i gotta imagine like i'm trying to think of the most intense one the most intense scene i can think he's in is like the one with like the baboons or whatever they're called the monkeys oh, the monkeys where he's like fighting and he's like using the spear i could see it happening there probably he also managed to run headfirst into a pipe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he also broke his finger. <laughs> How did he break his finger? Uh, it was another stunt. At the same time he broke his hand? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, did you so, know then, Ego Morganson broke his foot? And that scene in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, when that happens, I'm, I know I'm going to have to mention that. That's going to be great. Oh, yeah. Just now, like I don't know if you guys <laughs> knew this. Did you but... know? <laughs> uh, so in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Jennifer Lawrence said her, Josh Hutcherson, and Sam Claflin were all very clumsy on set, given, you know, obviously the onset injuries. I would, yes. <laughs> yeah. They said they, were, they could manage to fill a whole gag reel with just Claflin falling over. She also <laughs> stated that he must have fallen at least once for every scene filmed. <laughs> 
that's that sounds like some that sounds like something I would do. Now, uh, while on the press tour, despite their this being their second movie together, Woody Harrelson did not realize that Liam Hemsworth and Chris Hemsworth are brothers. (laughs) 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 And there's an interview is online, so you can see the very moment where he like someone mentioned about Thor, and that you can see it click in Woody Harrelson's head, and he goes. And he looks at him, he goes, wait a minute, you guys are brothers. And he looks at and Liam's like, yeah, you didn't know that? <laughs> That's so funny. That's great. And then for our final fact today, Ed Sheeran. Yeah, like, hold with me. Ed Sheeran submitted three songs to be included uh, for the film. They were all rejected. <laughs> yeah. and, all, and then the song that was chosen was uh, Atlas by Coldplay. Mm. Doesn't he do a song for the second movie for for? Or the, or the for Mockingjay? No. Or am I thinking of? Oh, I'm, you know what? I might be mixing him with The Hobbit because he did do a song for The Hobbit, which was weird. It, yes, it was. That's it is very weird. Yeah. Um, I think the next one is a uh, Yellow Flicker Beat by Laura. Plot twist: The song was Shape of You <laughs> for Smog. Yeah. <laughs> the Shape of that Smog. That took a few seconds to sink in. That's just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that cameo in Game of Thrones too. Like that what the fuck moment. Like, why is Ed Sheeran in armor? Like it was just mm-hmm. kind of he's walking, he's walking around. He's like, is that Ed Sheeran? <laughs> yeah. Ed Sheeran. Was that your last are, fact? Yes, those are all my facts for today. Wow. Good job. Those those were that was a decent amount. That was one page. That is one page, yes. That felt like two. Felt like a decent amount of, of facts. Oh thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now let's actually talk about this film because we haven't really talked much about it oh, yet, okay. other than little quippy one-liners. Yeah, my little one-liner. I thought we were skipping that part. Yeah. Right. All right, guys. So we'll see ya. Um, yeah, we just wanted to name the episode "Catching Fire." Catching Fire. <laughs> skipping movies. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, who would like to go first? I think our guest can go first. Then. No. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. No. <laughs> What did, what did you think? What was your overall like opinion on the film? What did you like? What did you didn't like? And then give it a rating out of five. Yeah. You could even comment on it, how you felt about the adaptation if you know. Yeah. I, I didn't read the book, so. so I, I read the books and um, I saw all the movies. Catching Fire, I really enjoyed. I think that for a couple of reasons. Uh, first is it's it's the first movie on steroids, right? And at first, I was thinking to myself, oh, it's going to be kind of a repeat, right? Mm. But it really builds momentum, you know, and the idea, the title Catching Fire, this is when the rebellion uh, takes place. And you start, you know, Katniss is, you know, innocent of much of it, save for like rumors back in, in her district in, in book one and in movie one. Mm. And, you know, you know, she's not worldly. It's her first time away from home. And you know, she goes to this place wide eyed and you know, a death sentence basically given to her so she could save her sister. She uses her skills and gets out of the, you know, the, the first one and, and saves PETA. And, and you think that, wow, they, they made it and everything's going to be great. Then quarter quell comes back and all bets are off and you get to see all of these other survivors and how they've sur- how they survived some of them not so well right and it's mm. the, being thrown back into the crucible and asking them to do it all over again only so that snow can get her killed right and stop this rebellion but she goes on this victor's tour right and and going on the victor's tour 
she's bouncing around and going to districts and feeling momentum of a rebellion coming, not knowing really how to handle it. And she's this innocent girl who was just doing something that was right, mm. uh, trying to save her sister. And now she is the symbol of of this, you know, coming revolution. Uh, and it's and, and for for me, I, you could feel that build in the movie. I think Jennifer Lawrence did a really incredible job. I thought some of the scenes uh, in in the second one, like the monkey scene, was a little over the top, and some of the characters were a little over the top. Like sh- you know, shaving your teeth down was a little weird. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who does that, but whatever. You know, and you would think that in this like futuristic sci-fi dystopian world, they would have like implants. You can do that. You have to actually you know file them down or whatever <laughs> yeah. push the story forward there's a will to it i thought it was exciting It was fun to watch and even though you know sometimes hollywood takes over and you get kind of corny scenes and everything i think the end really kind of sets up for you know the the finales uh and you know i i thoroughly enjoyed it now was it one of the best movies i've ever seen no uh, but, you know, ultimately, I thought it did what it was supposed to do, which, which is a middle movie is supposed to advance the plot, advance the characters. And here you see a lot of different things happening uh, with all of them, even outside yeah. with Gail, inside with Peta, obviously with Katniss. And then you get the wraparound story of Snow and this this um, boiling you know, revolution that's about to take place and it gets you excited for the third movie. You want to go back. You don't want it to end. And it didn't end on necessarily a cliffhanger. It ended exactly where it needed to end, where, you know, you've got this, this situation where it is gone. Katniss is recovering you know, and the game is on and you want to go right into the third one. You want to go, right. it's like, all right, let's start that right after this movie. I had a fun time with it, although I'm a sucker for sci-fi fantasy and I like the dystopian kind of the world building that had taken place that, you know, that that she had done throughout the books and, of course, was carried over into the movies very well. And I thought it was cast well. Mm. Um, I thought the effects were were pretty good. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. And on a scale of one to five, I would I would give it a, a solid three point seven five, maybe a four. Um, mm. You know, it, it, it put me in a... The, Mood to go see the final. Well, what ended up being the final two? I feel like you summed that up the best out of all of us, probably will. So um, <laughs> everything you said, I was like, yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> yes, that is well put. <laughs> like oh, that was like you. the perfect summary. Um, ditto. That's my review. <laughs> um. No, I, I <laughs> no, I think yeah, it definitely. So spoiler, this is my favorite out of the whole series. So just know that this is going to be my high, probably my highest rated out of all of them. Um, I gave it a four out of five, uh, a close three and a half, just for some of the, like you said, some of those cornier scenes where it's just like, oh, okay. But overall, I think, yeah, they definitely set it up very well. It wasn't a repeat, like you said, where it's like, oh, they're doing the Hunger Games all over again. It's like, no, this is way different there's more than just people uh person versus person you have like nature versus people too now yeah there's a gravity to it right like you said i mean and and it pulls in it's not they're fighting on this island but the world is fighting above them and even even the fight political fight is happening on the island too and she's unaware of it uh and it's just it's a really cool reveal at the end right that's another thing i really enjoyed was katniss's 
unawarity, if that's a word. <laughs> if not, I just made up a new word. Yeah, that's not a word. <laughs> yeah. Naive. 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 It's not a word. Sorry. One of those words. She's unaware of what's going on around her, as are we, for the most part. You know, we get these glimpses, these facial, like these little brief interactions, but we don't know the full intent, intention behind them until the end. And so, like, we're kind of, in a sense, Katniss. You know, we're be- we become that character for a bit where we don't fully understand. We don't know who to trust. We don't know who's on whose side and yeah when she wakes up in the in the um ship it's like what you were in there like oh there is no more district 12 it's like not only is this news to her but this is news to us too so it's it's much more impactful that way where instead if they had shown you know all of this backstory of what was actually happening behind her back it would not have had as strong of an impact I think that this film compared to the first one too, the budget for this film was way bigger. You could tell that the first one was so successful. They were able to actually really put more money into this one with the effects and the camera work. Isaiah. <laughs> Less shaky cam. Less shaky cam. Um, it's not in 1080. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot more graph like special effects wise is a lot better even set design like i loved their outfits and in this film like they're uh, i don't know what they're called like a wetsuit i guess kind of thing i loved i just love for some reason that's like my favorite outfit in the entire series i also think that the action as much i agree that the monkey scene was a little yes a little ridiculous but like even the scene with the with the acid fog that scene alone is just intense because it's it's a silent killer you know they don't they're not even aware of it happening luckily she was able to somehow sense it with her spidey sense but (laughs) i digress i those kind of scenes alone were captivating and entertaining one of the things that bothered me maybe this is some are explained in the books why does finnick kiss mags on the mouth that was weird. <laughs> I was taken back by that. I was like, I thought this was like a kind of mother son relationship. Not that they're related, but like, I thought it was more of like, I'm going to take care of you because you're old. And then they have this kiss on the lips where it felt like more than that. And I was, I don't know if that's some, if I was just reading it wrong or if it's something in the books that they don't explain in the movies, just an accident. Maybe she meant to kiss him on the cheek and he moved. <laughs> like, I don't know. I didn't even notice it until you said it. I mean, oh yeah, interesting. It, I mean, maybe there was some scuttlebutt about it on the blogs or whatever, but okay, I, I didn't. I didn't. It was always it, rewatching it. I was like, okay, that definitely happens. I'm not just like I don't. I'm not remembering wrong, kind of a thing. But yeah, I'm sure there's some screen rant article about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Also with like the story, the backstories on the tributes, I think was really interesting. Where you get to see what happens after the games. Right. How does how does it take a toll on each character and each person deals with it differently, whether that's positive or negative, like the girl who fucking files her teeth. That's one way to do a deal with it, I guess. Or you have like Joanna where she's just pissed because she's like, what the fuck? I'm supposed to be safe after winning the Hunger Games. And now you're throwing me back in just for the sake of your own entertainment and to get this other girl killed like for your 
own personal needs, basically. I think, and you guys can tell, you guys can tell me if you disagree. Um, this is some, this is an issue I have. I disagree. You actually might agree. This is an issue I have with the whole series. And again, the books probably dive more into it. So I could be wrong. I feel that Katniss and Peta's relationship is not as good as Gail and Katniss's relationship. I feel like the chemistry between Katniss and Peta, the actors themselves, it's just like weird and awkward. Whereas when when there's scenes with Katniss and Gail, it just feels like authentic. Like they actually do care for each other. Whereas the other, it just feels like they're acting. I don't know. Do you guys agree? Disagree with that? I just think you feel forced. That's about it. Yeah. (laughs) You have yourself on mute. Yeah, I had muted myself when my um, someone came into my mm. room. Uh, yeah, no, I would agree that that the it, it definitely felt more forced. It didn't seem natural chemistry on screen. Mm. I was googling the whole mag cynic <laughs> thing um, because Joe mentioned it's really blogs kind of just having a little bit of scuttlebutt, but for the most part, the the, the answers seemed unanimous in that they were like, a, "I'm your mentor. I care about you. I can't speak. This is the way that I will." You know, let you know that the last time, like I'm going to die. Mm, okay. And it was it was like a way more affectionate way. I see. To say goodbye, but um, yeah. Okay, that's uh fair. I, I think suppose. a kiss on the forehead would have done just as well. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, keeping it I platonic would have been just fine. <laughs> a pat on the I back. Agree <laughs> you, you you hit the nail on the head on a couple of things. I mean, one of Katniss's character traits is a protector mm. and in the books and in the movies she protects prim she protects her district she protects the people when the war starts even if it ill affects her and she's principled right and Peta is weak and she knows Peta is going to die and she puts herself on the line to protect him and it's more of a in my opinion more of a platonic friendship love sort of thing like i love you because you're my friend Oof friend zoned <laughs> like the, yeah. the concept of like the 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 contrived wedding and this is the girl i loved and she didn't know it and so that he can curry favor and and and, and gain you know power within the game when people would send him stuff because mm-hmm. he was not going to win and then she felt like i've got to protect you so get behind me like i'm your big sister i'm here to protect you and it was it was forced and it was kind of contrived even though she affectionately loved him she didn't have the passionate love that she had for gail and gail um kind of turns right he, he becomes sort of a little bit of a heel at the end there is something there where they grew up and they clearly were meant to be with one another and then the war divides them and people kind of fade away and she's caught up in this whole you know thing at the capitol and you know it's gail's left behind wondering where's the love of my life and then he joins to fight and all other kind of stuff and so you see dynamics of the characters changing as they go and I think she I agree with you. I think she was much more passionate on screen with Gail. But I think that's also part of the the story arc for both of them is like this was supposed to be my boyfriend, got screwed up, and now I gotta protect PETA and make it look like we're in love and we're gonna get married and all this kind of stuff to protect everybody else. And then I'm sending the wrong message to the person I really love, which is Gail. You know, it's a really yeah, complicated I feel situation. Bad for him. Oh man. That guy really got it rough. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. I understand the, the, the concept with Peter and Katniss and it's kind of awkward from the get go. It's kind of just like you guys have to like each other. 
So that that does definitely take part. I think also behind the scenes, Kat, uh, Katniss, Jennifer Lawrence and Josh Hutcherson were kind of like a sibling relationship to begin with. Like, I think that's just how they got along. Like they were just like buddies. So that also might have taken into play with when it came to on screen. They felt maybe awkward subconsciously. And that kind of came out maybe. But I digress. <laughs> that's just my uh, one man's opinion. I'm going to shut up now. Uh, someone else talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what was your final rating? Four out of five. I think you and Joe both covered a majority of what I would say. I also try to keep this short. Mm. It is a four out of five for me. I do agree with the scenes that had uh, the prim scream. There was things that just kind of were a little cringy. I want to say, I guess, as far as like Katniss's character and Jennifer Lawrence's acting for that particular scene, but when they kill Silas as she's going up in the elevator. But yeah, that that was done very well. And that stood out for me um, as a particular scene for like, not just the story, but also like emotion in the acting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's all I have to say. Isaiah. And to, that's just adding on to what we said. You said you agree with basically. Yeah. What, okay. No, I, I, you guys covered the majority of it. I think Joe put it very well. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I believe. Yeah, I believe you guys put it together very well. What I was also going to say. All right. So we don't even need to hear yours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I just had so I just had a few thoughts that you guys didn't mention because it was just in my brain. Um, mm-hmm. There's a few points in the movie that I thought like PETA was going to be like a little moody bitch <laughs> like, to put it lightly put it lightly yeah, he wasn't there were a few moments there where he was like acting like immature child basically for towards Katniss and everything that was going on and then eventually but then he actually like apologized me like yeah I'm being I'm being stupid that wasn't that wasn't right to force my feelings on you and I'm like oh my god that was such a mature thing <laughs> okay never mind <laughs> so that surprised me now with the wedding being such a like hail mary move and it being such a very big thing in the movie it kind of seemed like it just kind of got glossed over. We got married, by the way. We're not going to show you that we proposed or anything like that. We're just going to have Caesar Flickerman kind of explain it on a little blurb. Okay, next. Moving on. That's well, they couldn't like... because he ripped his pla- pants. <laughs> <It was laughs> <embarrassing>. They couldn't <laughs> make that a scene. It was so embarrassing for everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it just felt like a weird cliff note of a very important plot point if they were going to, since they've mentioned it so much and how like important they made a seem. So it didn't feel like I got the screen time. Recognition. That it yeah. yeah. Uh, also, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the GOAT. Love that man. Shame that this, yeah, shame that this is his, uh, like, these are his last couple of movies. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah, definitely can tell the budget got increased. Also, the whole keeping Mags alive plot line, didn't really understand why it was in the movie. Didn't seem like it was necessary. Kind of felt like they could have taken that out. This movie is like two and a half hours long. Really could not have, didn't need to include it. And I'm always a big pro that if you're going to adapt something that if you're going to, ch- would you choose to adapt should be, you know, useful. And it felt the whole thing, her part being in that movie was just there. I'm going to chime in because I see what you're getting at, but I think her role was pretty subtle, but overall made a very big impact on Katniss's opinion on Finnick. Cause she thought she even says it like, Oh, as soon as, you know, the cannons go, he's just going to leave her. But we see that he sticks with her the whole time and he truly cares about her. And then even when she dies, he still decides to stick with Katniss and Peta. And I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a more subtle 
role that she had, but I think like overall she had a, a very big impact on like the care other characters arcs more than herself. I also want to throw in that I think her and I don't remember if they did this book, but I think her character is meant to be she represents the people that Katniss wants to help in the other district. She represents the weak, the old or mm. You know, people who are helpless against the regime. But those are my thoughts. I gave it a four out of five because I do genuinely enjoy this film. This is pretty much my favorite of the franchise. Definitely better than mm-hmm. the first one because you can tell that they put more thought into the craft and what they were doing and everything that like, was there. They purchased a steady cam for once. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a on. pair of tripods. <laughs> there was things that you could see now that, you know, if in the movie you definitely would have been able to. You know, I never noticed it. And then when we were watching it, like when I was watching it and you messaged us and you're like, oh, my God, the camera movement is making me sick. I was like, what is he talking about? And then I watched it and I that was all I could notice. And I was like, oh, this is making me like mad because <laughs> I'd never noticed how bad the camera movement was. And I know it's probably like they're trying to make it intense, but it's like you can't even tell what's going on half the time. Yeah. So definitely the budget helped. <laughs> And so I just, this one's a good one. And it was entertaining. It does a good job of what it needs to do. Like Joe said, that it gets you into the, like, this is, oh my God, we're going to jump into the next one. Holy crap, this is what's happening. And I think it did a great job at that. Unfortunate, the next two movies are what happened after that. But (laughs) um, I don't really remember much of the next two. I just remember the, if we burn, then you burn with us is like the only part I remember. And the chick with the shaved head on the side. That's it. So the two good parts of the next. <laughs> yeah. Right. But anyway, I give it a four out of five. Yeah. Good. I think we all kind of did. We all basically across the board. Um, wow. Us I agreeing? guess that wow. means something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, remember this moment. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. And um, thank you again, Joe, for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you guys. I really had a fun time with this. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you definitely say words better than we do. So <laughs> yeah. I try. Yeah. it's almost like you do it for a living. I wonder. So if you want, why don't you tell our viewers, you know, where they can find your work? Yeah. So you can go to jvhilliard.com uh, and find my work there, or you can visit dragon moon press, which is my publisher uh, and you can find it there as well. But if you're looking to, buy the book or download the book you can pretty much find it anywhere from amazon to audible to barnes and noble to apple read whatever it's it's pretty it's available ubiquitously i was gonna ask you about barnes and noble because i have one right down the road and i was gonna go check and see if there was one nearby if it isn't you better order it from there (laughs) but thank you uh but yeah no seriously guys go uh go check out his work i don't know how many of our viewers read (laughs) but (laughs) Yes, I did just <laughs> insult him, but that's okay. So yeah, go go check it out. I'm definitely going to go take a look. And I don't read, so that's saying a lot. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. And we will see you next week with Mockingjay Part 1. Ooh, how exciting. See you guys. Thank you. Bye.